Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before we begin, this podcast is possible by our sponsor at Ambire. The Ambire wallet is one of the top products in crypto asset management. It is the first open source, non-custodial smart wallet that delivers exceptional user experience combined with solid security. With Ambire wallet, users can easily navigate the world of Web3. It comes packed with features like built-in swaps, cross-chain bridges, integrated earning opportunities, and more. In addition, Ambire offers things like human-readable transaction parsing, eliminating ERC-20 approvals and front-running protection. The smart wallet uses gas abstractions that allow for unique features like paying for gas with stable coins. Users can batch multiple transactions to save time and gas fees. The wallet also supports NFTs and allows you to connect to any dApp via Wallet Connect. You can use it with an email and password or add hardware wallets or hot wallets as signers to upgrade your security. And the best part? Ambire speaks human. The UI is friendly and informative, ensuring you understand what you're doing and eliminating risks for mistakes. Ambire wallet users are currently eligible for continuous wallet token rewards. To learn more and get your Ambire account today, visit www.ambire.com. That is A-M-B-I-R-E.com. Before I introduce our guest today, I have a couple of brief updates for our community. Going forward, we invite everyone to join us on Twitter Spaces, where we will pre-stream each episode the day before publishing it on all of our distribution channels. We also have a new NFT program with blockchain recorded community NFTs. These can be claimed from our webpage, blockchainrecorded.com. So visit our website, check it out, and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for new updates and potential airdrops. And so now, without further ado, today we are talking about Otter Finance, a non-custodial all-in-one mobile app, actually more so wallet. We'll have our guests expand on this. My guest is Alexei Zakharov. Oh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. The CEO and founder of Otter. Prior to Otter, Alexei led crypto mobile engineering at Cash App. He started his career as the third engineering hire for Lyft, followed by a role as the founding engineer of Prisma AI, maker of Lensa App. Alexei, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Hi, Nina. Very happy to be here. It's great to have you. I'm so sorry. I hope I, I, hope I pronounced your uh, last name correctly. Uh, I think it's good enough. Yeah. Is it Zakharov, Zakharov or Zakharov? Uh, it, it's... Well, in, in or, not, the, or none of the above. <laughs> well, in Russian, there is a sound. Uh, it's like Zak yeah, Zakharov. Zakharov. Yeah. Zakharov. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Zakharov. Anyway, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Cl close enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't mind, uh, with with the with your bio that I read off, if you wouldn't mind uh, just uh, diving in and telling us about how you got into. This uh, exciting journey into the exciting journey of Web3 up until Otter Finance. Well, my interest in uh, like crypto ecosystems started very early on. I think since 2010, when I first read Bitcoin white paper, I immediately had a dream that uh, in 
like future uh, all of us could live mostly from our funds on chain can transact freely without like any oversight from government or big corporations and then it's been almost 14 years now since bitcoin white paper was released but i don't think we yet live up to that promise mm -hmm. and i think with recent technology improvement i believe that with Arthur we finally have a chance to fulfill that dream and let people truly live off the blockchain funds that they keep in self-custody and i think self-custody is really important because i think a lot of those promises were somewhat fulfilled by uh, centralized exchanges you can now have debit card you can connect your bank accounts to them but in in, in its core when you remove the self-custody it's no longer really different from banking because like what's the difference when you have 1000 usdc in coinbase and 1000 dollars in a bank of america mm -hmm. i think in terms of all the legal implications and limitations that you will have you will have exactly similar problems and that's why i feel like we need to go back to that core promise that was like originated in bitcoin white paper that funds should be in control of each individual uh, and that's why like i think the only way forward is, is self-custody, but then we need to solve this hard problem, how to make self-custody usable day to day. Yeah, so I see, you know, given given your previous experiences and your background, there's definitely a connection, obviously, uh, with you and starting Otter Finance. Did you, in the back of your mind, did you always see this? Did you, were you always sort of in the back of your mind planning on uh, starting a sort of a mobile, mobile wallet solution or a non-custodial form? Or was this just sort of an idea that evolved uh, through your path? Uh, I think I had it in the back of my mind since 2016. Mm. I think release of Ethereum, I think it was fundamental in terms of like seeing how that could be done because Bitcoin only kind of lacks this programmability aspect to really achieve a product that will like look and feel from what you expect from your bank um, or, or like inve or investment tool. Um, but but then I think Ethereum and, and we will talk about it more from like technology capability perspective are not quite there. And that's why in our case, we picked uh, Solana blockchain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, well, I'll definitely pick your brain on that. <laughs> <laughs> but just sort of taking a few steps back and painting the macro picture, um, I assume you, well, maybe, if you get the question a lot in terms of is this, you know, for Otter, is this just another wallet? If you get this, how, how do you how do you reply? Yeah, I think I get this question quite often. So I think there are like two fundamental like problems for wider adoption of wallets. Uh, one is like a complexity associated with blockchain. So most of people don't understand what seed phrases are, how to 
store them securely mm-hmm. and then when it comes to transactions they don't understand what gas fees are why do they need to have this separate currency to pay for gas and finally they are they not as used to sending payments based on this kind of mysterious addresses rather than declaring like the recipient Mm. for example in like cash up or venmo it's like really simple you just have to know the username so at author one we we solve that uh, set of problems to hide the complexity of blockchain we automated the process of securing your seed phrase so you don't need to like manually write it on paper you can if you want but you don't need to uh by default we completely eliminated kind of the notion of gas so in order to transact all you need is usdc balance Mm -hmm. on solana uh, and we leverage like technical capabilities of blockchain to like basically cover those fees while preserving all self-custody aspects and then every other customer has a username that can be used for payments in, instead of using addresses the second i think biggest problem is that majority of wallets they kind of neglect the integration with legacy financial institutions so it's it's really hard for you to move money from the bank and back to the bank using the wallet and again when it comes to spending you usually have to rely on some centralized custodian like coinbase or binance to have a debit card to do that so uh, what we want to do with otter is to make all those interactions with legacy financial institutions seamless because I believe that the road to mass adoption won't be overnight and it will take us multiple years when people have to have full interoperability with legacy systems while like still have access to all the new ways like Solana Pay to to do, uh, let's say, payments directly through blockchain. Yeah, definitely. Um, you you mentioned a, sort of a few key phrases there. One was Venmo. And for me, the other one, obviously Solana, which um, I'd like to pick your brain on a little bit more. I'm, I'm, before we sort of move on to the technical part of Otter Finance, I noticed on your Twitter page um, or Twitter profile. So you you have this sort of a slogan, crypto Venmo alternative built on Solana. Obviously, I can't get past the questions about Solana since they've had a sort of unimagined explosion of adoption and success. But considering sort of hard, more difficult, hard development onboarding due to Solana Rust's specific programming language, there are also thousands or so many projects rushing to build on Solana specific dApps. So just curious in terms of how you guys got started it would be interesting to know more about the behind the scenes. So if you can talk about how this Solana process went, what what is what do you think is Solana's sort of secret sauce to um, attracting so many projects? Yeah, so for us, what what was really important is the like technical fundamentals and uh, of the of the chain. So, like if we, for example, we want to replicate a Venmo or Cash App experience, 
And from the sender of a payment in Cash App, the feeling is that when you send the payment, it's instant. So then for us, when we were picking blockchain, it was critical to pick a chain that could achieve that settlement time that will be less than a second. And so far, if you will compare Solana, which is 400 milliseconds to Ethereum, which is 12 seconds. Mm. In fact, there is like very little choice for us. If we want to deliver that customer experience, we can't really rely on chains like Ethereum that have much longer settlement time. But beside that, there are like multiple other characteristics such as TPS. Uh, Solana TPS is promised to be uh, up to 60,000 transactions per second and should go even higher with some improvement. Mm -hmm. While the active TPS on Ethereum is around like 30 on Polygon, I think it's around 40. And like looking just at these metrics and if you imagine that thousands of people will start transacting the, the, the choice for us be became obvious. And, and I think on top of that, what I really appreciate about Solana is the strive to have a high level of decentralization. Mm -hmm. I think it's now have Nakamoto coefficient around 31, uh, which, is, which is pretty good. And I think it, decentralization there is not as high as on Ethereum, but comparing to all Ethereum L2, it's like superior. So considering all that and the fact that DeFi ecosystem in Solana, I think was basically a second after ETH, I think it was kind of an obvious choice for us uh, to, to go with it. So we just like looking at like, okay, what it can do from the technical perspective, can it satisfy the requirements we have to make the desired product experience and yeah that that's how we made that choice yeah so for instant pay um venmo is, is venmo predominantly just used in the us yeah so and this is the problem i actually realized while i was working at cash up so both cash up and venmo are predominantly in us cash up has some presence in uh uk uh-huh okay it's really hard to scale this p2p business outside of your home market because there are tons of regulations right. that you have to satisfy and they vary a lot like market to market that's where like self-custody shines so much because you can replicate a product like cash app or venmo but then you can launch it all around the world and your like biggest bottleneck will be optimizing on and off ramps in each single market. Oh, I see. Yeah. So sort of the standard uh, cash apps, just like what you said, have more of a, it's the regulatory cross border issue. W what about Zelle? Just, just, um, just curious, because is, is Zelle in that um realm as well yeah because zell the, the the that's the other one right i mean that's also i i just know that it's i noticed that it's used in the u.s is that predominantly a u.s thing and it's is, are these all competitors I, I think zell actually was able to expand uh, a little further maybe because zell is heavily backed by traditional banks 
Yeah. And that's why I think they were able to leverage those connections to launch it on more markets. Although um, I think experience of Zelle is like way like lagging comparing to like what Cash App and Venmo do. So I don't think when when we think in terms of like like a bar that we want to hit, we like look at Cash App and Venmo and we want to go further than that because those products also got a little stale over past eight years since they exist. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, no, it's just interesting. I mean, um, we're our podcast, we're based in Europe. So um, in, in Slovenia, we don't use any of that. Um, but still, it's just interesting to understand. Yeah. So the sort of the standard, typical banked, um, backed uh, apps are, I, I now see the difference. Yeah. So you were talking about Solana more. Um, how did you, how did your project get noticed? Like, what was your story um, in terms of getting Solana's attention? Well, I think there is a difference getting like Solana's attention, which is Solana Labs group and um, just in general community and investors uh, in that community. Mm -hmm. I think we were like pretty lucky in that sense. Early on, I participated in what called Solana Hacker House. So that was a hackathons that usually last three to four days in like various big cities around the world. So the hackathon that I attended uh, was in Seattle. Yeah, is it true, sorry, that no one sleeps? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's pretty sleepy. Oh, it's pretty. Uh, <laughs> com- comparing to like New York. Okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I love Seattle. I think it's very close to the vibe that I'm used to in San Francisco. I mean, maybe Seattle people will disagree, but I, I like it there. Um, yeah, so I actually attended to the last day of that uh, hackathon and demoed my like early prototype of trying to replicate Cash App experience uh, using Solana. I was the last person who demoed, so <laughs> like, like there was actually no, almost no feedback uh, because everybody was getting uh, ready to like pack up and go. Mm. Uh, but but the next day, Chris from Race Capital somehow uh, heard over like grapevine uh, of Solana people uh, about us and asked for uh, asked for a quick demo. And yeah, so he was the first uh, VC we uh, ever interacted with. And then eventually they became uh, our lead investor. Mm. So we kind of was lucky because uh, such a good team like Race Capital kind of was our first interaction with VC community. That's great. Yeah. So then I, I think it took uh, me some time to actually decide if that's something I want to do uh, rather than just my like home project. And when I decided that's that's something I want to do and start a company, I left Cash App and then we received funding from Race and few few others. That's great. I'm wondering if you can actually if you can comment on on my next question. Obviously, we can't get past the Alameda and FTX uh, fiasco. They also supported uh, well the majority of sizable Solana projects. Can you comment at all if if you know in, in terms of has funding halted to your knowledge in terms of after the crash or 
if you know kind of what the climate is because um, just because there were some talks that some of the Solana projects lost funding to the due to the situation yeah it's a great question uh, I think the whole finding funding climate start cooling down since Luna crash mm. yeah there, there was a substantial amount of funding from FTX that came to Solana projects but it it wasn't like kind of overwhelming to a level that like Solana project cannot continue uh, w- without FTX. I, I, I think in general with all like down cycles, I think a lot of projects that were based purely on hype are slowly dying out. But all the kind of critical, true, like fundamental parts of the ecosystem, they, I think, had no major issues and continue thriving right now. And I think since January, we see a lot of kind of rebound in Solana ecosystem, amount of transactions on chain. I think it's now like exceeding Ethereum total transactions. Again, there is a lot of like the Solana price went up almost 100% since December. So so I think everything that kind of coming back, I, I think what everyone who is in this like crypto related business should expect more due diligence, like more skepticism from uh, investor community. But I think if the project is good, the good projects will get funding. And then I think majority of like biggest DeFi protocols on Solana I know, um, they have enough funding for at least two years. So I think all the big players have money to, let's say, wait, uh, wait through this 2023, which will likely won't be as friendly to any kind of crypto communities, not just Solana, but I'm pretty sure like even other chains will experience something similar. And I think over time in 2024, maybe late 2023, we will see like kind of like a, a, a gradual comeback. More of a definitive trend, hopefully. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks for that. Let's let's talk about so let's talk about Otter Finance. What's the significance of the name? What what made you name, use, or pick Otter? One of the main reasons we picked Otter was that when when you say Otter Finance, it almost sounds like an alternative finance. And like our whole premise is to basically provide an alternative to existing like banking and investment tools that could work using this entirely new technological rails which which is solana blockchain so that that's why i like the name otter and then i think having an animal as part of the branding is really good in in like to kind of like break the ice when we onboard new customers and it's just like a really good mascot that we can use across all our marketing efforts yeah yeah, I immediately think of the animal. Interesting that you say that it sounds like Alter. Yeah, I could see that. And uh, and otters, actually, they can also swim upstream, can't they? So <laughs> that could actually be a good, uh, yeah, also I, like a, a good qual- uh, characteristic. S- swim upstream, very friendly 
<laughs> very cute. Very cute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you like just Google like GIFs on the internet and there is like infinite supply of yeah. uh, authors doing something funny, so... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. Can you just how big is your team? How big is your team at, at in in your Otter Finance organization? Yeah, we keep our team pretty lean. Um, we have uh, around like four full stack engineers, including me, hmm. two designers, one focused on product, another focused on illustrations, and also we have another person who like focuses of on everything non-technical yeah i think what i've learned from working at the big silicon valley corporation there is a lot of inefficiency built into existing engineering organizations so that's why you typically need like 10x more than people to do something simple than you actually need and i think you can see it now with these layoffs is that there is a lot of realization of these inefficiencies across mid and big size corporations. But still, I think even with these massive layoffs, I think all of them are still massively overhired. And the problem is that in a lot of cases, engineering orgs are organized in a highly specialized way. So each individual on the team can't really like do a single feature all by himself and it requires like tons of communication and also in the i think what's even worse a lot of engineers care only about engineering details and they're like so far removed from the product that they don't feel like they actually own the end experience. So mm. what we're trying to do differently at Otter is that all of our engineers, they actually build every single feature from the UI layer down to database records. And they have a very clear understanding of what customer experience we're trying to provide. So they they, they kind of like are probably like 20% product uh, and then 80% engineers that can do everything from UI down to database level. <laughs> oh, interesting. Interesting. And is your, uh, where are you based? Are you remote? Yeah, so we are embracing fully remote work culture. Mm. Um, at the moment... Fully remote? Yeah. At the, at the moment, one third of the team is like living and working together from Mexico City. So we probably will keep that kind of remote uh, hub for another two months. But later on, we are planning to kind of like go back to all the different parts of the world. And as I said, two thirds of the team already fully remote and then just pick different locations like every six months where we can come and work together for maybe like three or four weeks to like solve some hardest problem we are, we are facing. Wow, that's interesting. Um, so fully remote, and then yeah, that sounds uh, interesting. What 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 are what do you find that your challenges are mostly with being fully remote? Well, being fully remote, I think requires two things. One is 
you, you have to have some processes around written communication. So then uh, regardless of what time zone you are, you have access to kind of all well-documented priorities and updates to understand where, where the rest of the team is. And I think it's also come to hiring specific kind of people who have a high degree of self-motivation and I guess pride in their craft. So they don't need like someone to oversee them and like in their core, they will not slack if uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it takes a lot of dedication and motivation to do that and accountability yeah although on the other hand i would argue you can be extremely more much more efficient if 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 you're like i said dedicated and motivated but eventually it's it's good to have face-to-face -face time as well yeah i think th that's why we are planning those like six month reunite events uh so so people get could get this face face-to-face -face time mm -hmm. but yeah I, I agree with you it's i think it's a it basically gives you almost two three hours every day for extra time uh you can spend more ef efficiently and actually in the end you end up having more work hours but at the same time you have more free time hours as well because you spend less time on commute and yeah 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 also save a lot in you are forced to save more in terms of like this face-to-face -face communication which is which was kind of abused in a lot of silicon valley company i worked for it's like yeah you have like half of your day like oh more than half like six out of like nine hours you just spend in meetings yeah yeah well probably not even not so much just silicon valley <laughs> i think it's probably <laughs> across the board but that's a whole other topic yeah. the blockchain recorded podcast is a media partner with the stronger together challenge initiative our collaborative role extends to hosting topic specific panels to facilitate discussion and perspectives within varying industries related to the Web3 space. Let us have a few words with Laurent Perello, the initiative founder. Laurent, what is the Stronger Together Challenge initiative? First, we have to mention that it's an ecosystem initiative. In other words, a voluntary movement encompassing leading partners and projects of the Tron and BitTorrent chain ecosystem. What are the main goals of this initiative? The main goal is to demonstrate the powerful together effect. As I used to say, together is much more than a world. It's, uh, it's magic. We aim to show to the whole crypto industry and beyond that the Web3 revolution is not about competition, but rather about cooperation. You know, we are really supportive, welcoming, open-minded and inclusive. It's not a marketing speech. This initiative is also a way to confirm our long-term commitment, regardless of the bear or bull market situation and our determination to keep on building every day, guided by a long-term vision and a humanistic philosophy. Thanks, Laurent, for illustrating what Stronger Together stands for. Season one of the initiative successfully ended, while season two is planned to start in December. Let me also mention that panels will be celebrated by NFT airdrops. Stay tuned for further updates. Well, great. Well, let's 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 get back to to Otter um, in terms of what Otter is, what what it offers as as a crypto wallet, or is it just a crypto wallet, or is it more than that? Tell us about that. Yeah. So with Otter, we we're trying to bring this 
what we call banking 3.0 experience. Mm-hmm. So you can use your self-custody wallet as basically the main form of payment, getting paid and invest uh, as well. So as of now, we build complete P2P payment product. So you can uh, send money to other auto customers and can also easily send money to customers that don't use Otter, but if you send money to them using Otter, they will have to install Otter to receive it. Mm -hmm. Um, We allow people to buy various digital currencies and slowly start starting to roll out ways to earn interest with cryptocurrencies that you're holding. So, so far we released ability to earn 6% yield in Solana through staking. Yeah, so, so that, that, that's, that, that's the core product. Mm-hmm. So we call our current phase as phase one because right now we rely on third parties to get the money in and out from banking system. So you sh- uh, we rely on like Coinbase Pay, Binance Pay, Stripe to move money in and out. Our phase two, which we hope to achieve in the end of Q2 is direct banking, bank linking. This way you no longer need this third parties. You can just link your bank account and can move USD from the bank to USDC on chain. And fourth, that will also allow you to start getting paid in USDC through Otter uh, because we will generate routing numbers for our customers uh, that they can like provide to uh, all the existing employers in US. And yeah, so that will kind of fulfill that promise that you can actually leave off your blockchain balance. So, and I think the final missing part will be phase three, which is like spending. So hopefully in Q2, we could release a debit card linked uh, to your on-chain balance that you can use to spend. I think with like phase two and phase three in US, you will have a complete uh, bankless experience, uh, which we are really excited about. But we don't want to stop just on US. Uh, we already have set of partners aligned for Latin America. So I think while we're working on debit card product in Q2, uh, hopefully in Q2 we could launch a banking linking in uh, in Latin America as well. But yeah, the the in a short horizon we like super excited to get this initial version in us by end of q1 oh that's that's uh that's fantastic so the main use case sort of as as i see it it's a wallet to wallet usd transfer that's sort of the main use case is that correct yeah yes uh, I, I i would agree here yeah yeah and you are using solana as a settlement layer and some stable coin or how does it work yes in the back yeah so so we Every time you fund Otter, we convert USD to USDC, which uh, should be a one-to-one equivalent. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when you have USDC in Otter, you can send it to other customers, which behind the scene will be 
a USD transfer transaction on on Solana blockchain. Mm-hmm. And as I said, the unique part about Arthur is you don't need actual Solana balance to perform that transaction. So mm-hmm. so you would be able to send USDC instantly and and free without even knowing that it's being executed uh, through Solana blockchain. Mm-hmm. And as we already established, Otter is a non-custodial wallet, right? Yes, uh, yes. Otter is non-custodial and uh, will stay non-custodial. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> because this is like the, the the core the core promise of absolutely of the product is to make non-custodial uh, accessible to billions of people around the world. Yeah. Um, it, this sort of brings me to my next question because um, I see that you were actively also writing on Medium. I uh, read your Medium article about wallet security, which is extremely important. And that's probably one of the first things that people also that are aware of what non-custodial custodial means care about. Can you talk more about how you tackle security in terms of um, you talked about active keys, private keys, and also your dual encryption I'm I'm just I'm I'm interested in hearing about how backups of private keys are stored locally within you mentioned iCloud or Google Drive. I'm just I just want to make make sure that we you can clarify this because my alarm bells go off when when I hear when I hear Google or iCloud. So yeah, if you can clarify that would be great. Yeah, so so yeah, we store um encrypted backups of your private keys on iCloud or Google Drive, depending on what platform you're using. If you're using iOS, it will be iCloud. And if you're using Android, it will be uh, Google Drive. Right. So, well, first important thing about cloud backups is that they actually exist in this specific isolated kind of part of iCloud or Google Drive that you as a customer cannot actually access to see those files. So those files can be only accessed by our application and that security is provided by Apple and Google. So the second important part is that we never save raw keys on iCloud or, or Google Drive. So what happens is when before we try to make an automatic backup, we actually encrypt them in, on your device. Then we generate two, by first generating two different symmetric backup keys. So one symmetric encryption key encrypts the seed phrase and then that encrypted seed phrase can be saved on iCloud. Then that key is encrypted by the second symmetric key and deleted. I, I, I guess it's hard to like describe it on a podcast. That's why I think it's 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 good to like take a look at at the article that kind of have the details. I think what what the important piece that everyone body should take from it that all encryption is happening on device, then only encrypted version is saved on your personal iCloud. Mm-hmm. And then an, an encrypted decryption key that could decrypt your iCloud backup is sent 
to other backend. So in the end, the hacker will have to get access to both other backend encrypted encryption keys and to your personal iCloud to be able to restore your your seed phrase. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how we protect from a scenario where a hacker get access to your iCloud or Google Drive and in the also to scenario where a hacker could get access to other backends. And what's important to highlight about other backend that mm-hmm. we never receive your private key or encrypted version of your private key on our backends. Like on, on, on our backend, we only have this encrypted decryption key that can unencrypt your iCloud backup. Yeah. Uh, it, it, well, I think what's hard to, to, to describe it on a podcast because you just basically saying you have private keys that are encrypted by another encryption key that is also <laughs> encrypted. So, no, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I hope that I was able to give you an idea and then all the details listeners could find on our medium. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Like I said, you know, my alarm bells just go off if I hear iCloud or anything related to Google, right? It's, it's almost like it's then you people or or anyone who, who don't understand how the encryption process goes, then automatically think, okay, well, so that means Google Apple have access to or can somehow access um, the information. Yeah, so that that's the beauty. They could get an access to encrypted information, but that won't let them actually use those seed phrases. And then I think what's important to highlight, we also working on ledger integration. So for accounts that have like, extremely high value, uh, we would allow you to connect to your ledger through Bluetooth. In this case, the signing of transactions will be happening on ledger and the key, the private key will never actually leave that hardware device. Uh, So in those cases, we don't do iCloud backup and we entirely rely on ledger security. So I think the future setup that I see is that you have like your checking wallet that have maybe uh, $500 to $2,000 on it. Then you have like a savings wallet with ledger that could have uh, like thousands of dollars on it. But yeah, I mean, it's really hard to get people on board with Ledger as a, as a first step. That's why I think the security that we provide is sufficient for like beginners and having this like kind of, I would say like, like checking balance uh, with us. So that will allow you to like get started and understand the product. And then what we're planning to do through Otter, you can actually order a ledger that you can later use to get extra security if you move very substantial amount of funds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and move to a cold wallet. Yeah. Um, so would you say that your main sort of target users are more um, crypto newbies or not even? It's just, it's really anyone? I think, well, uh, yeah, it's it's a great question. So I think 
you actually need both. And I think ideally we need to build a product that could be usable by both categories because when you start a product like ours, most of your early adopters will be like more advanced crypto users. So, so on one hand, you need to create a product that could be trusted, but those early adopters who could essentially become evangelize your product, and then it should stay simple and usable. So when the regular, not as much crypto educated customers will come in, they will have easy time to use the product as well. So that's why we keep the simplicity, but then think about details such as ledger support. So our early adopters that have like a very deep uh, knowledge about crypto would still trust us because otherwise you, (laughs) you like won't get that initial group of people and then you never get to this mass adoption step. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, sure. Are you interoperable also with the Solana Saga phone? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. So we started Otter before Saga was announced. Mm-hmm. And I think when you think of Saga, it's important to think about a slightly broader concept called Solana mobile stack, which Saga is part from, but not limited to. So, so Solana mobile stack is set of standards. So standard number one is Solana mobile wallet adapter, which by implementing this standard, any Solana D app could be integrated with, with, with Otter if we will implement Solana mobile standard. And the second part is uh, Saga Seed Vault, uh, which allow you to access and save uh, seed phrases inside Saga hardware. So in this case, you can think of Saga as a ledger, basically. So from our priorities, we are thinking to support Solana mobile adapter first, and then sometimes after uh, provide support for Saga Seed Vault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't get past the Solana questions. <laughs> Just in terms of Solana stability, um, which has been an issue in the past, how or do you deal with network congestion and transaction dropouts? Um, or do you, how do you deal with in case Solana network, the Solana network goes down uh, or has like a downtime? Great question. I have to ask that question. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll, 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 try, I'll try to break it down like... Perfect. <laughs> by like different problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so problem number one is when network goes down. Uh, so, well, when network goes down, we as a product, we the, the best we can do is to notify people that the reason why transactions are failing is because the the network is down. So, mm-hmm. so from the moment we launched, I don't think Solana actually went down a single time. So we were lucky in that sense since we since we launched only in September. The big problem for and why those outages happen is that right now only a single Solana validator implementation exists. So whenever that implementation like kind of hit the edge case, 
you kind of have this cascade effect that all validators will hit the same edge case and will lead to network going down. So as we speak, there is a second implementation of Solana validator in works that been developed by a very good team from Jump Crypto Division. Uh, this validator will be called Fire Dancer. So when Fire Dancer is released, uh, Solana will get similar outage protection that Ethereum has right now. That Ethereum actually has, I think, three different validator implementations. So and it only goes down when all three of them like got to like a bad edge case and like historically it proved like highly unlikely that th this happens when when you have this redundancy in validator versions so fire dancer is expected to be released uh, mid this year so yeah we could still experience theoretical outage until then but soon after it should be in a much better place yeah the downtime so yeah that that was the first problem like this kind of outage due to edge case the second problem is you mentioned i think congestion mm -hmm. so on congestion side solana had an issue because all the transaction fees were like static and based on amount of signatures uh within the transaction and that allowed like spam activity to overtake the network due to low transaction cost. So I think for the past two months, Solana has what's called priority fees in production, uh, which allows to add a special priority fee to temporarily increase the price of transaction, but then prevent the potential congestion attack by bots. and. I think since that release, we didn't see any like congestion based outages on Solana. And then did they cover it all or there is something else? I think I think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So I, I, I think what's good about yeah Solana community that it's actively evolving the technical stack and the pace that I observe is actually much faster than from what I see in, in other chains. Oh, interesting. Let's talk more about privacy. Many dislike what is happening with MetaMask and collecting the IP. And then on the other hand, others believe in full KYC, right? So on the other end of the spectrum, one could argue that that goes against Web3 ethos to have full KYC tracking. Others they feel differently. We know that Google Play Store and Apple Store are harvesting data. How is your data collection or do you collect any user data? Or if you could just share what, what your view is on this. Yeah. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. It's it's I think it's a good discussion to have. Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um I think what's important to separate in in this conversation is censorship resistance and the privacy. So with censorship resistant, other parties could still know kind of details about you and know who you are. The important piece that no one can directly confiscate your funds. So if we were like circle back 
a year uh, like and that like canadian tracker incident in canada like the the censorship resistant part will prevent canadian government to intervene uh with the charity campaign and people would still be able to uh use the product even though the government could know like who potentially transacts mm -hmm. on the privacy side i think there is kind of a lot of i would say shades of gray in 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 privacy because one like if the company collect any data associated with with the wallet like it it could still keep it private rather than like exposing to anyone and then i think some of this data is required to be collected depending on what features you are trying to use so let's say if you just create an author account we collect the minimum amount of data we collect phone number and email and your author name to just provide you that p2p experience uh, and also have an authentication kind of entry points uh, so we can like authorize your account so yeah we obviously will have a phone number and email uh, which we don't expose to any third parties then if let's say you want to connect your bank then we have to collect more information that is required by financial institution to establish that connection so then we will collect uh, your name your date of birth ssn uh, potentially uh, scans of your IDs and so on. But then, yeah, you, you have a choice if you, let's say, want to use Otter without the banking connection and you have uh, your own means how you receive money from chain mm -hmm. and, and send it back to, let's say, your regular bank account. Maybe you pass it through an exchange. So that's up to you. In this case, we won't collect extra extra information so i think we also enter into an era where a lot of DeFi protocols will actually not allow you to use them unless you have kyc record associated with your wallet so for example there is this um, protocol called credix finance that allow you to invest into seven i think corporate debt in latin american countries so if you want to use that DeFi protocol, you like having USDC balance and a wallet address is not enough. They need to get a confirmation of your KYC to let you interact with their smart contract. That, that's why I think uh, in the future, like certain things like P2P will require minimal information about you, like. Compli more complex things might require a KYC profile associated with the wallet. When you say uh, KYC require, is it to abide by the regulations? So for now, are we speaking more concretely US? Or are you just, I'm just thinking in terms of, because right now you're talking about, you have, you know, in terms of US customers and you are looking to expand on a global scale. For example, Europe, you have the GDPR in place. How does that uh, interplay with collecting data if you were to expand 
uh, to the European market, for example? Like, how would you be collecting that? Is how, how does that data collection yeah, yeah. go in parallel? Yeah, so data collection is actually segmented by countries, by countries and by functionality. So mm -hmm. depending on what country and what functionality you want to access, there will be a different amount of data that will have to be collected. So does it mean like more more data, more functionality? It, well, it depends. D depends, as I said, for I think Credix is again a good yeah. example because in US, uh, Credix require you to perform verification of your documents and also provide verification of you being accredited investor. So while if you use credits, let's say in Latin America, you only need document verification and then you like self qualify to be accredited investor, which is like a different level of confirmation comparing to what US customers have to go through. So yeah, as a product, we will try to minimize amount of data you have to expose mm -hmm. based on what functionality you want to get. So as I said, If you're primarily using it for payments, then it will be the minimum amount of information we need to collect to provide this service. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah no, it's just it's a it's a helps with the thought process of what all you need to think about also in terms of yeah data collection and what's required. And also in terms of compliance issues, you did mention before that you don't have actually compliance requirements as much that if you were a central custodian, correct? Yeah, I would I would say it's not like we don't have it at all. It's just a simpler requirements. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we at least for US customers, we still need to monitor if there is any interaction with the wallets that are in OFAC lists. Mm -hmm. So then we need to warn customer, oh, you're trying to interact with that wallet that could lead to potential black listing of your wallet from the government perspective. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there, there are a lot of complexities and I think players in wallet space, they trying to brush it, these complexities off and just say that, well, there is this ideal world and like, we believe that only that is possible, but that eventually could effectively lead to government hunting down those players and and then consumers will suffer. I think in general majority of the governments as I see now they not necessarily trying to control people. <laughs> kind of con control control it. They just trying to protect mm. consumers. I think what often happens when they got direct technical capabilities to do it, then through this like complexity it becomes like un certain things become un unusable um so I, th i think that's why like wallet players like us need to like play this hard balance bargain and slowly help the government to evolve their policies so a, a good example now is uh the privacy protocols So, for example, if a wallet would have allowed a free transactions with 
Tornado Cache, then every user exposed to Tornado Cache could end up in this like blacklist, mm-hmm. wallet list that multiple European and I think US government issued as a result of this Tornado Cache fiasco. So that's why, for example, even now we have technical capabilities to use zero knowledge proof protocols for P2P payments. But we are cautious of prematurely adopting them because we want the regulation to evolve. So we won't get we won't put our customers into a situation that we let them use a zero knowledge proof protocol that end up them being like blacklisted by the maybe the country where they live in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your app is live now already. Yeah. Yeah, the app, the app is live now. As I said, the the main difference from where we want to be in, let's say, next two months is that right now we rely on third parties like Coinbase, Binance, Stripe to get the money in. Mm-hmm. And then we hope that in like two months from now, starting from US, you won't need to rely on those third parties to move money from the bank and back to the bank. I see. And um, is is there an otter token, or I'm just I'm just curious about the possible token utility if if you guys have that in in mind. Um, yeah, it's a great question. So as of now, we don't have short term plans to have otter token. Mm-hmm. So we are thinking that at some point we could have some type of credit credits program that more things you do with the wallet you can earn credits kind of like miles in in airlines or like or points in credit cards mm-hmm. we could keep those credits like managed by us we can potentially move them on chain so that's all possibilities i do like the idea that like more companies could actually issue a token that will be equivalent to a share. I think the problem right now that majority of crypto projects that issue those governance tokens, they actually don't give that level of kind of like financial, like like they're not equivalent to what people are getting from getting company shares. And I think that's why there is like a huge distrust in uh, governance tokens that are being issued at the moment. But what we hope that like few more years from now, we could potentially create a token that actually will be an equivalent to a share in a company, but then could be traded outside of just NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. And, it, and I think that's the missing piece in um, the crypto trading because now you have all these currencies, but it's not like you trade in some crypto company equities using it. So my my hope is that with more mature crypto companies coming to mass market, they could start trading their equity in those companies through tokens and also do it in a very... Uh, like honest way not just to 
issue because a lot of governance tokens like yeah you can vote on something but then when it comes to let's say profit of the company then the government's token actually doesn't share any profit and then usually company holds so much extra of the governance token that your voting also doesn't matter because the founders that hold like so much of the governance token will overvote anyone so it's like a, basically a gimmick that exists and i don't want us to do a gimmick i want us to be truthful whenever it comes to uh, do a governance token yeah no absolutely then you're it's it's almost like you're entering uh, some of the same uh Wall Street never-ending spiral stories <laughs> of who owns and controls what. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's good to hear. I guess if you're if you're planning in the future, well, this sort of brings me to to wrap this up. Alexei, in in terms of your roadmap, you did disclose in the beginning sort of your first the the, the phases that you're seeing or foreseeing. If you can maybe just just uh, tell us again what your short term plans are in terms of your roadmap or even well long term you did also disclose that yeah but just in terms of how you started the year out now and and where you see the year out going yeah. with your planned milestones yeah so so on, on a big milestone level uh i think as i said this is phase two a uh, direct bank linking mm -hmm. uh, that's coming first to us and then to other international markets Then phase three will be an issuance of debit card that directly link to an on-chain balance that you have. But then outside of those like big milestones, I think there are a lot of uh, like smaller things that we are improving every every week. So then you should expect more ways to earn using Otter uh, that we will just keep releasing when we will find a good protocol that we could trust we, we actually evolving multiple ones right now i would just just our like kind of uh, evaluation process takes we, we want to like spend significant amount of time before we put something out so so we we can be sure that this is like a, a safe matured protocol for our customers to use that's why we started with Solana staking, like native Solana staking that allows people to earn 6% uh, yield. I think one of the easy, most mature next step is liquid staking integration. So people could use some of those protocols. And then another part that I'm also excited is uh, Otter uh, PFP limited series. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have a plan to like make any any money out of it it's more of a way to reward and kind of distinguish our early adopters so okay when when this like nft collection will be re ready like all early users uh, of otter can can mint it either mint it or maybe we will distribute it for free so people can kind of use it more with like a historical proof of being early adopters and get access to like new features earlier, like be part of maybe this a beta community uh, and so on. So we're still trying to figure out the incentives on that part. We just released a small teaser of kind of the, the base 
for the PFP that you can see on um, our Twitter. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, I think the, the main thing is to like recognize early adopters don't really try to make money right. on it. Yeah. Right. Well, this has been this has been great. Alexei, is there is there anything that I have not asked that you would like for our audience to know or take away? Um, I think we covered yeah mo most most of topics. I I just wanted maybe to reiterate something about like Solana. Sure. I think it uh, had some bad kind of press, like oh, it's uh, VC controlled blockchain um i think i think what i just recommend to people to actually look at fundamentals so because like even let's say like going into decentralization aspects solana say oh solana is not decentralized but if you actually will look under the hood we'll look how many validators are active how those validators are distributed across uh, the world you can actually get this understanding of the level of distribution rather than just i don't know getting a clickbait bait article that oh yeah solana was controlled by ftx uh now there is no way it will survive mm -hmm. <laughs> uh yeah just uh i guess do your own research uh rather than like put a, a somebody else's opinion uh, on it and yeah comp compare fundamentals look at uh, look at TPS look at the settlement time compare it to how that compares to ethereum how that compares to polygon uh, and others and I think then you can kind of see see the difference mm-hmm Absolutely. I definitely agree with you. Yeah. Well, what's the best way to follow your work or contact and, and of course, participate, etc. in terms of Otter? You, I mean, you're obviously active on, on Twitter, like everyone else in the crypto space. Yeah, we we, we have our uh, Twitter account, which probably is the most active in terms of uh, seeing updates. Uh, we also have an Instagram account. Yeah, so I, I think following these two, Instagram and our Twitter will be the best source to get all the latest news uh, about our product. Awesome. Well, Alexei, thank you so much. I enjoyed having you on and learning more about the backends of non-custodial wallets and, and more importantly, to emphasize the value of self-custody and just how you... What the, one of the last points that you mentioned, uh, getting back to fundamentals and doing your own research. I'm curious to see how you'll evolve. And uh, so best of luck with that. Thanks, Nina. It was, was a pleasure being here. Thanks, Alexei. And hope uh, perhaps we can have you on at, at some later point to see how your milestones are, are, are coming along. Definitely. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Thanks again to our guests and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Barium Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on bariammusic.com. All of the supporting information is on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. You can listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode.